Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome. I am Douglas Peak, and I am inviting you, all who are on campus or all of you who are doing church at home and watching online, to be a part of our family especially if you just moved here, you relocated, or you're looking for a place where you can feel like you're at home. It's not hard to get to know us. You can do so anonymously. You can just text uh, New to 72000, and you can get to know our church. You don't have to sign up for anything or give any information. You can just uh, do it from anywhere in the globe, text that number, and then you get to watch some videos and read some things if you want to read about who we are as a family, as a community of faith, and I want to invite you to be a part of it. We're currently in a series called Jesus Loves Me, and it's about the essential beliefs of the faith. And a couple things you should just be aware of if you're hearing for the first time or coming up to speed, and that is there's not a whole lot of essentials. There's really only five. And, but if you take one of them away, the whole thing kind of collapses. Now, we called it Jesus Loves Me is because there's a children's song by the name, uh, well, Jesus Loves Me, but it goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And what that does is that little song helps remind us what the essentials are. And essentials are critically important as you grow up and as you go out into the world. Uh, There's a young man that I know, he didn't grow up in our church, but we'll call him Marcus. I always change the names when I tell stories of people to protect the guilty. And um, I always liked that joke. I thought it was funny. Um, but it, uh, uh, his story was basically, I grew up uh, going to church ever since I was little. My parents were really uh, committed Christians. And uh, I went to middle school and high school. And my, the church that I grew up in, our middle school and high school was separated off, right? And it was a ton of fun. We always we played tons of games. We had tons of fun. He goes, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a great, great time. And then he goes off to college. And when he's at college, he gets there. He's trying to feel his way out, find a new group of people and so forth. So he gets kind of an eclectic group. He was put uh, with some roommates and none of them were believers. So he starts going to parties and he meets this girl. She really likes him. And he says, looking back, he goes, what I, I wish I would have known then that I, that I know now is she was a very broken person. And so she was looking for people to tell her who she was. And she kind of latched on to me initially, and I didn't realize that. Uh, she was sexually aggressive. And he was like, well, I'll roll with that. That's not so bad. And, um, you know, this is his story, not mine. And what, what happened is, so he was kind of sort of, you know, just kind of looking for himself. He didn't know what. He had this new girlfriend, and, and he started drinking because they were going to parties. Not, you know, I mean, they, he, he, he'd get sloshed on the weekends, but it didn't really interfere with his grades that first semester. And that second semester, he went to the Introduction to Philosophy class. They have all different names for him in all different universities across the board. And he said he was sitting in there, and the professor got up there and said, I don't want anybody to really... Uh, uh, raise your hand or say anything. He says, but I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And he goes, um, if you consider yourself a Christian, you believe that God is all powerful, right? And he's thinking, Marcus thinking, yeah, of course we do. 
you know? And then he goes, okay, and as a Christian, you believe that God is love, right? And he goes, well, yeah, I've heard that. God loves me ever since I was a little kid, you know? Jesus loves me, this I know. And uh, he goes, okay, there's evil in the world, right? And so he's like, well, of course there's evil in the world. And so then the professor tells these stories about, you know, kids who get cancer and die. He tells a story about a young boy that was molested and it destroyed his life. He tells a story about a village wiped out by a, a tsunami. And he says, so, he, you know, so everybody's like, oh, those are you know, painful stories. And he goes, so if God's all loving and all powerful, then why does he let that stuff happen? And Marcus was like, that's a really good question. And he says, it's in that moment I lost my faith because I didn't have an answer. And it had a huge impact on his life from that day forward. You know, he had an on-again, off-again relationship with this girl. It was super unhealthy. It was toxic. And in one of those rare situations, you know, she was highly controlling and, and uh, abusive, you know. She'd hit him with stuff and and every time he tried to leave, she'd say, I'm going to accuse you of all of these things. And so they actually ended up getting married. They had a kid, but his drinking got worse. He became a full-blown alcoholic. And, you know, his life was just totally messed up. His parents couldn't even talk to him anymore. He had no relationship with them. And then what happens, he said, one day he went to AA and sitting in an AA uh uh, meeting, he said, for the first time I realized in my life there was something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And what's really interesting is that this uh, little thought experiment is extremely popular in our culture today. Uh, in our family, you know, we grew up, my son, oldest son, is a big uh, Green Bay Packer fan, so uh, we're interested in the players, you know, and I don't know if you follow Aaron Rodgers or not, but he's what we call a high IQ guy. He's a really intelligent guy, reads a lot of books, super smart. He did an interview with Danica Patrick, who is a, a retired NASCAR race car driver, uh, about just life and stuff like that. It's about an hour and a half long, but he gets into religion and he talks basically, and he says that basic thing, and that is, well, I, I can't believe in a God that says he's all loving and lets bad things happen to people. And so he's not a believer. He's not, you know, he's not sure what he is. Uh, he doesn't know, but he tells the same story as Marcus. You know, I grew up going to this group in high school. I didn't go to church. I grew up in the group. It was tons of fun. We had fun all the time. And then I went to college and I read books and I read things and I didn't have, and he goes, I just don't, I just don't know why, if there is a God, why there's evil in the world. Now, anybody who spent any time reading any philosophy would say to you that, well, what you're doing is circular reasoning at its best because you're actually using God to disprove he exists. You see, if there is no God, then there's no definition of evil. So you can't even say there's evil if there's no God. So how can you say there's no God by using evil? That makes no logical sense whatsoever. But most people don't live in logic, which is upstream. Everybody lives where? Downstream. So I'm going to show you a little, an essential that is really powerful that and, and the first one, I want to just recap, and that is, we answered the question, uh, you know, the song, Jesus Loves Me. Okay, Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is what? Jesus is God. And today, we're going to answer the question, what did he do? Jesus loves. That's what he did, is he loves. And if we understand what real love is, then we understand that God is not only loving, but he loved us in the best way that we could ever come up with. 
Now, how do we know that? There's a conversation in the gospel according to John between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And the whole reason why this conversation is recorded by John is to show us a contrast and a contrast that most people who live downstream never, ever get. But it's critical if you want to be redeemed and awakened spiritually in order to walk with God. So let's read it. Let's see what the contrast is. And then... We will attempt to illustrate it. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now if you're not familiar with how Rome worked, Rome basically worked this way, and that is, we're going to come in. If you resist, we kill you. If you disagree with us, we kill you. If you rebel against us, we kill you. Otherwise... So most people were very interested once they got to the otherwise, you know, oh, there's another option. Yes. You keep doing what you're doing. You rule yourself. You have your own ceremonies, your own religion. You, all just, you just have to pay a boatload of taxes. As long as the money's flowing, you can do whatever you want. Because of that, the Jews had their own rulership, okay? There was King Herod, and then there was a thing called the Sanhedrin that ruled a lot of the religious life and even the downstream daily life of what? Everyday Jews. And this guy, Nicodemus, was one of the people on the Sanhedrin. So he was like uh, modern day, maybe a, a congressperson or a parliamentarian or something like that. He had a lot of power. And he comes to him in the middle of the late at night, so this means he believes in Jesus, he's curious about Jesus, but he doesn't want anybody else to know, so he comes at night. And he says, Rabbi, which is a form of respect. So right off the top, he gives him honor. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Well, this is a big deal because to Jews, they only believed that the covenant that was given to Moses and then written down was the only way God had ever communicated with them before. And so now he's saying, you're actually someone who's come from God as a prophet to speak to us. So he's saying, basically, I want to know more about God or the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say this, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if you were not with him. Jesus replies, very truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So this is a point where we start to see the contrast. Nicodemus then says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. This just goes to show you that Nicodemus had a sarcastic streak, right? But he also was saying how ridiculous what Jesus is saying was to him. This is ridiculous. Because to him, birth was what? It was a physical, material world thing, right? Then he goes on to say, Jesus goes, well, very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. This right here would rock Nicodemus' world. Because in Nicodemus' mind, as a Jew, as a leader of the Jews, a ruler of the Jews, his job was to say that we must be right with God by keeping the daily covenant. We have to eat this, dress this, pray this, uh, perform these sacrifices at these times, eat at these feasts. We have to do all of these things because that's how we experience the kingdom of God right now. He's going to deliver us from the rulership oppression of the Romans. 
He's going to bless our fields. He's going to bring us earthly peace. And Jesus says, well, if you want to bring into the kingdom of God, you must be born of the flesh, right? And the spirit. And he's like, what in the world are you talking about? Listen to what he says. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus goes, how in the world can this be? So he's astonished at what Jesus is saying to him, because what Jesus is saying is this, is that you live in this earthly realm, right? In this material world. You get up in the morning, and if you're over 40, something always hurts no matter what you did the day before right? You get, you're, you get hungry, and oftentimes you crave the things that are really bad for you, right? I mean, does anybody actually uh, get hungry at lunch and say, I have a real craving for kale? <laughs> I mean, if that were true, then why do they put kale in all this stuff? You know, honey and nuts and lemon. You know, nobody walks around chewing on kale, right? You, that's just not a thing, so, so why is it, this is, we live in this material world. We have desires. Sometimes the things we desire are not good for us. We get tired when we're tired and hungry. We can be cranky. Uh, if things are going bad, we get in a bad mood and then everything is bad. We have depressions. We have happiness. We have anxiety. We have fullness. We, we have all this about us. Sometimes we don't understand it. We don't explain it. But this is where we live every day. And this is what Judaism was designed to address. You eat this stuff it's good for you. You do these things. You go to bed then. You memorize this stuff. You do all this stuff. And guess what? Your life is going to be good. God will bless it. Even though the Romans are around, we haven't quite figured that one out yet, they would say. But Jesus is saying, yeah, not so much. Not so much. How can this be? Well, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will I, you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Here's Jesus once again claiming to be God. Notice what he says. Nicodemus wants to know about the kingdom of God. How can I be a part of these miraculous things that you're doing? There's obviously power to help Jews become free politically again. And Jesus is saying, you're talking about the wrong thing. Because what I'm talking about is something more important. How can you be a teacher and understand what the law is and not realize that the law is pointing to something more important? You know, I could see Jesus saying to Nicodemus, do you not know when uh, David said that sacrifice and offering you do not desire but a broken and contrite heart? You see, that's a spiritual thing. The law always points to the spirit, your soul. You have a soul, my friend. Your earthly material Life can be changed by religion, but your soul must be brought to life. It must be brought to life. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Now, Nicodemus understood this. You may not. It comes from Numbers chapter 21. And basically what happened is in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites were in Egypt. 
for 400 years, and they'd been enslaved by the Egyptians. They grew to probably somewhere between 750,000 in population, could be as high as 4 million. We don't know exactly. Uh, Estimates are somewhere between a million and two million. And so uh, what does God do? God asked Charlton Heston to go down there and lead them out of Egypt, right? You know, I mean, wasn't he the best Moses ever? You know, let my people go, you know. So, uh, so Moses then leads them out, and they're in the wilderness, the Negev Desert, and they're, they're going across the desert. It takes them 42 years. Part of it, I think, is just because they're such a massive group of people. How, do you, how could you get up the entire population of Boise, Idaho, Meridian, Idaho, Eagle, Caldwell, and Nampa and say, hey, we're going to march across eastern Oregon until we get to the coast? How long do you think that would take? Maybe that was part of it. I don't know. All I know is that they get out there, and invariably when you're on the journey, it doesn't matter if you're four million or four in a car, somebody at some point says, when are we going to get there? And that's what they started doing, and they were tired, and they were not happy. And even though God was feeding them with manna, giving them water, coming out of rocks, didn't matter, they get angry, they start uh, complaining about God and Moses and all the leadership. They just get super negative. And so snakes come into the camp. They're asps, you get bit. They're called the two-step asp. If you get bit by an asp, you get two steps, and then you fall over and die. And so, so the people go, oh, please beseech God. So what happens is back then, you know, Jesus had not come. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. So the only way they could do it is through Moses. Moses entreats God and God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do is we, uh, I want you to take that snake and I want you to make a bronze image out of it. I want you to mount it on a pole and put it 100, 200 feet in the air on the top. So that somebody's in their tent and they move a, a wicker basket or something like that and they get bit by that snake. They can walk outside quickly as possible, look at that thing, and they would be healed. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I will be lifted up, up on the cross, and all men who look unto me, who believes in me, not as a person, but what this person came to do will have eternal life. And then here's the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Some says only begotten, meaning that Jesus is unique and special. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So that's a very important phrase. Save the world through him. The sandwich sign has caused heresy. You know the sandwich sign? It's only big enough to write Jesus saves on it. That's all you get. Now, if you could get a bigger sandwich sign, you could actually say something accurate. Jesus saves through himself. Maybe what we ought to do is have a sandwich sign that says Jesus saves, and on the back it says through himself. Would that work? I need a better joke book. (laughs) It's not working for me. It says, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through himself. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. 
So here is the judgment. You're already judged or not judged based on this truth. Light has come into the world, but the people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So what is he saying? He's basically saying very simply that the world is wrapped up in the bad things that they do, right? And God is trying to bring light into the situation. And what has happened is that God is moving to save the world unto himself because he loves the world. Now, what's really interesting is in our society today, I find that this has been inverted. And that is, in our society today, is that our society looks at people who say, I'm trying to follow God. And if those people do anything bad, they attribute it to their faith. Right? But if anybody does anything good, it gets attributed to their humanity. But in my, my experience and what all the research out there says is it's exactly the opposite. When people are left to their own humanity, they tend to do what? Really bad things. All the bad in this world comes from our humanity. And what our faith does is it tries to inspire us, grow us, encourage us, to leave how the world's tainted humanity has tainted us behind. Jesus came to save us from the world. And that's why we have to ask the question, why does he include you must be born again with God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish? In the same conversation, right? You know, I've been married for 32 years. And it took me 30 years to realize when my wife is talking to me and she says this thing and then immediately after she says another thing, those are related somehow. <laughs> and I need to figure that out. Why did John do this? Because they're related in a deep and abiding way. Like, for instance, let me ask you this question. How do you know that someone actually loves you. How do you know that? Is it because of what they say? That might depend upon where you're at in your relationship, right? So you've been dating for three months, right? And so you're thinking, you know, I've been going out with this guy for about three months now, and we need a DTR, you know, a define the relationship conversation. We need a DTR. So you're sitting there talking, and she's sitting there thinking, I don't know, do I say this? Do I not say it? Da, da, da. And something happens, and she can't help herself. She goes, I love you. And she's thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that. This is the first time. And he's caught back, and he goes, uh-huh. She's thinking, that's not what I want. It's not what I expect. He goes, I love you too. So at that moment, you're thinking, wow, that's a leap forward in their relationship, right? But 10 years of marriage, and they say, well, I really love you. Well, I'm not so sure about that because you, yesterday you said you hated my guts. I'm not quite sure I got all this figured out. So is it based on what you say, right? Because it says in the Bible that the same mouth that praises God does what? Insults other human beings. 
So is that how you know? Well, maybe it's something else. What about this? Is it when you're really needed? Like when they take stuff from you? Like, well, her life would fall apart if I wasn't there taking care of her, you know? Her life would, would fall apart if I wasn't taking care of Is that love? Is that how you feel loved when someone takes from you? Or, or is, do we know what love is when we, when do we really feel loved? Is, is it really ultimately what that other person does? You know, guys, you could be married to a woman, right? And you're going through a rough patch at work and she's trying to help you work through it a little bit. She's encouraging you, you know, and you go, you make a really big mistake and then you get fired and then you go, man, my wife's not working right now. We're losing all of our income. This isn't good. We've got mouths to feed. And you go home, you know, and you know your wife is scared about what's going on. And you say to her, I just got fired today, right? And she walks over. She gives you a hug. And she says, you know, things aren't going good for us right now. But I'm not, I would, I'd never want to go through this with anyone else but you. You know, you're my husband and I believe in you. And we're going to figure this out because you're a winner. Guys, would you love a woman like that? Yeah, you would. Because here's a woman in sometimes your greatest failures who says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, Ladies, you're, you know, if you're married, you're married to a man, and uh, it's fun to get flowers, isn't it? You know, it's fun when he actually asks you out on a date and plans something. You know, that's kind of fun. Uh, when he does things that are special, those things make you feel good. They're romantic. But, but let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you rather have a man that when you had the flu and you're in the toilet throwing up, comes in and he holds your hair. I mean, the guy's in the impact zone for crying out loud, <laughs> right? He's right in there, you know? And you come out of that, you go, I'm kind of embarrassed. But you know that in that moment, if that guy's going to love me in that moment, he's going to love me when I'm 60 and I don't look like I'm 20 anymore. He's going to love me when I'm 80 and I don't look like I'm 60 anymore. Because you know that his love isn't dependent upon how you look or where your hair's at or how you fit in the dress. You see, how do we actually know someone loves us? It's not what they say. It's not what they take. It's not even what they give. It's what they do. And what did God do? What did he do? It says he loves you. So what, what does that mean? Well, I hope to illustrate it, how God loves you and why he loves you. But um, uh, this has to do with chemicals and stuff. And so I'm a little nervous if it's actually going to work or not. So, all right. And that is, is that basically what happens is, you know, we, we grow up in the world and, you know, everybody looks at themselves as just pure and innocent. You know, if you could see that, you know, on camera, you know, that's just clear as a bell. And, 
you're out there, and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm, this is just so awesome. And so I'm gonna, you're thinking, I, I'm coming into this world, and I'm going to use this kind of as, as, as uh, how they mix together. But because you materially, your physical body interacts with the world, right? So, so you, can, you can come into this world as a material being, and there you are. And then you get older, you go to college, you think to yourself that, you know, this world is not a bad place at all. It looks kind of, there's so many neat things about it, you know, and so many fun things about it, so many awesome things about it. And so you think to yourself, I don't, you know, I don't know about this God stuff, and I don't, not so sure about it. But boy, the world is really pretty cool. And, you know, you go off to college and a professor throws this little thought process at you and your girlfriend's good looking and everybody's having fun. And you're thinking, you know, what's the harm? What's the harm? And you say to yourself, well, there's really not any harm at all. You know, you're just kind of there for a while. And you start living and you start breathing, and you start embracing everything about the world. And my hope and prayer is this works. <laughs> because what happens, though, is over time, the world starts to have an impact on you. It starts to influence you in ways that you never knew. I heard a little of my reaction happening there, so this is exciting to me. Please work, please work, please work. And so what happens is eventually your soul goes dark. Do you see how it's getting darker? And you can hear it in there. You, you get a taint on your soul. And then that taint just slowly and slowly and slowly influences everything about you. And as your soul starts to get darker and darker, you're like, what's wrong? Why, is, why are things not as good and as happy and as fun as they used to be? Why is it that they are not as enjoyable or fulfilling as they used to be? And that's because, as you see, your soul just gets darker and darker and darker. And this is what Jesus meant when he said the following words. He says, you must be born again. He says, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How are you going to believe the heavenly things I speak of? No one's gone to heaven. Only the Son has come from heaven. And he goes, this is why God loved you so much. He came because he knew that living in this world turns your soul dark. It pollutes it. And what's odd about this is some of what you see inside of yourself is still good, but look at all of that darkness that's floating around and it clouds your judgment. It clouds the way you manage your relationships. It clouds the way you perceive your spouse. It clouds how you raise your kids. It clouds all of these things. And it says, so Jesus came and Jesus came for a purpose. So, right. Remember we took Jesus out of the God box, you know, and then I just love that beaker because it's like massive. I love that thing. And so it says he came into this world so that when you interact with Jesus, 
Your soul is no longer dark. It's now clear. We know this, but we rarely admit it to ourselves. You see, when we want to understand the essential Jesus loves, we have to understand is that Jesus came to love you for a purpose and a reason. And, and you know this deep in your heart because this is something that is so critical. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrates His own love for us or His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while our soul was black as night, Christ died for us. You see, that's what real love is. He entered into the impact zone and said, I'm here. So what Marcus could have said is he could have said, yeah, there is evil in the world, but I'd like to share one little hand, you know, question, and that is, what if the evil's in our soul? You, you're, you, what you're doing is you are taking evil and metaphysically making it something out there when the evil is really in here. And if there's evil in your soul and you want it, you want it healed, don't you want a surgeon instead of an excavator with a wrecking ball? You know, if you go to a doctor and you, the doctor says you have cancer and you go, okay, what do I do? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to cut your legs off and then we're going to cut your arms off. Then we're going to cut your heart out and then we're going to cut your head off. And you go, this doesn't seem like a really good solution for me. <laughs> well, no, it's not good for you, but it's great for uh, science to study your body in the future. I was thinking something more along the lines of helping me right now. <laughs> you want a surgeon that's going to come in and say, this is how we're going to save you. And so, so the love of Jesus Christ is love with a purpose. And, it, and what he did defines how we're loved. And that is, as he comes in to cure the taint of your soul. This is why Jesus said you must be what? Born again. Your soul must be brought back to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive together with Christ. We, we have the old way. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone. The new has come, for you are a new creation. You are no longer an alien. You are now a child of God adopted into His family. Jesus loves is the essential that says He loves you for a purpose. Don't ever forget that. Men are driven by love. Guys, everything you do, whether you know it or not, when you strip it all away and get down to your soul, is you're motivated by love. Women, you are motivated and driven by love. In the end, we cannot know God or know love until we get a hold of this 100% upstream experience. When you experience the actual love of Jesus Christ that came to save you, everything else begins to fall in line downstream. Marcus, he just didn't lose his faith, but he lost himself going through alcoholism and a divorce. And it was in that AA meeting when he finally realized that everything that I've believed and thought about God was wrong. What I realized, he would say, is that professor lied to me. And I wasn't wise enough to figure it out. 
This is why this essential is critical to us. It is one that we will never let go of. It has been true for 2,000 years, and it will be true until the day Christ comes again. Let us never let go of this truth. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.